What's up, friends? I'm Candace Kelly, and welcome to episode 42 of the Mental Cement Podcast, the show where we help you master your mindset to live the life that you want to live. Today's guest is from the Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina, and she is one of the few voices who has some nice things to say about us millennials and Gen Zs. And she's gonna be sharing how her journey from rising through the ranks and becoming an executive at only 28 years old in one of the biggest companies in the country has helped her understand that leadership is different than it used to be. It used to just be you do what you're told and that's it. But then we started caring about things like employee satisfaction and work-life balance and that just threw a wrench in the whole thing. And so through her time working with people of all ages and what she likes to call people old enough to be her parents, she decided to literally write the book on multi-generational leadership. And that's what she's here to talk with us about today. So let me tell you a little bit more about our guest. She's the president and founder of the Center for Next Generation Leadership and Personal Development, which is based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. That center helps corporations develop, attract, and retain both millennials and Gen Zs. And she also partners with universities to accelerate the corporate readiness of students before they graduate. Lord knows we need some help. Some of her amazing clients include Belt, Teach for America, Food Lion, UNC Charlotte, shout out my alum, and NC State University. Today we're really dissecting the mind of the millennial why are we so crazy? Why are we so misunderstood? And how can your understanding of this crucial generation help you succeed in the workforce and in life? So without further ado, keynote speaker, corporate millennial coach, and mentor to many, the woman that Forbes has an entire article about, the wonderful, witty, and fashionista herself, Raven Solomon. Raven Solomon, welcome to the Mental Submit Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we were able to connect and uh, I look forward to hopefully adding some value today. We'll see. Definitely, as always. And it's so funny to talk about how people meet. I always think it's so interesting because I'm a podcast junkie myself and I'll hear people get these big guests and I'm like, how did this happen? They must know everyone. And when I tell you I've been social media stalking Raven for at least six months, I'm not kidding. And we had some contact back and forth and I knew people that knew her, that knew her people. And so we happened to meet at a conference and I said, I've got to get her. And I did and she was so sweet, just like online. And so I'm super thrilled today. And I know I shared a little bit about your bio, about how you're written up in Forbes and how you have this amazing book out that we're gonna talk about today about leading your parents, but I wanna hear it from you, Raven. What was your journey like and why did you decide to start preaching about these millennials that most people are not so kind to? Thank you for that that introduction first. And then you know what? Um, kudos to you for just being consistent and following up and following through, being bold. Um, you came right up to me at the conference, introduced yourself, told me what you needed and, and desired to do. So, so I'm excited to be here today. Sorry it took so long, but um, yeah, we'll make it worth it. How about that? Definitely. Cool. So the way that I got into wanting to write about millennials and Generation Z is because A, I'm a millennial myself. 
And B, I remember people consistently telling me, oh, you're not the average millennial. You're so different than millennials. You're a millennial. I can't believe that. And it's just like, you know what? I am a millennial and a lot of my friends are the same way and they're millennials too. And so I understood, just like most of us do, that the biases, all of the stereotypes that come along with our generation are just that. They're stereotypes, they're blanketed thoughts, and most of the time they're not accurate. Yes, there are some folks that these stereotypes apply to, but most of us aren't like that. That was one of my driving forces behind writing the book and wanting to really be kind of a, an evangelist for multi-generational kind of synergy that really drove me to write the book. And even more so than the former was coming out of college and going into a managerial training program to then lead people, right? So I came out of North Carolina State University. I joined a company that, that I'll refrain from sharing the name of, but I joined this company and needed to really learn the business from the ground up. So they put me on a route truck for about nine months and told me to you know, figure out how to run a route. And I did that. And then they sent me to a couple of leadership trainings over the next three months or so, let me shadow a couple of folks. And then they handed me a team of 16 men who were old enough to be my parents and said, hey, go be successful. Teach them how to, how to you know, do their jobs better and how to grow their business. And so at this time, I'm 22-ish. I don't know how to lead people per se. I've certainly never led people old enough to literally be my parents. And so going through that process of learning kind of the ups and the downs, the woes, the, um, the do's and the don'ts really helped me become really successful in that career and to hit what we call the fast track, right? So I was being promoted year over year. And before I knew it, I was an executive at this company. I had a team of almost 300 people. It was a business of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that I was running. And uh, unfortunately, I ended up, you know, falling ill and needing to transition out of that career. But nonetheless, I say that to say, uh, over time, I've cracked the code on how to effectively lead people older. I knew that I had the challenge coming out of college and doing so, and I, I figured other people are still having that challenge, and I thought I could pretty much write the, the guide on how to do that. And so that's what I did in leading your parents. Those were my motivating factors. <laughs> that is incredible, and I love how honest you are in your story, in your journey. And you share parts that many people wouldn't share, right? Sharing that feeling of, I don't really know if this is the right thing and kind of leading back and forth between, are they sure? Is this really me, right? Kind of going through that imposter syndrome that I think many people face even right out of college, right? That's kind of where I am in my career. And as I'm applying, everything says, you know, five years, this, this, this. And you see other people, you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to destroy me. But then you have moments where you're like, no, I got this. Right. And it's a funny thing. It's a really funny thing. And um, one thing about me is that I got certified in coaching, like personal coaching with people. And one of the things my coach taught me was that <laughs> exercises and knowledge and training never survives collision with the human. <laughs> right. And I think that can be true even with leadership training. Yeah as you're training and you're learning all the tools and the skills, but when you actually have to implement them with real people, it can get pretty tricky. And one thing that I think in your book really hit the nail on the head is your notion of 
understanding values, right? Different generational values. And I think it's something that is glossed over, but no one has done a great job as you have of really nailing down what those are and how they show up. Like, what does it look like to exemplify? And so one of the most interesting ones to me was he said that baby boomers, right, typically value hard work as one of their top three core values. But the way that they see hard work versus the way millennials see hard work, what they believe is hard work, is almost the opposite. So what does that mean? What is that difference? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and the disconnect oftentimes creates this friction, creates this misunderstanding, mm-hmm. right? So to your point, one of baby boomers' most noted values is hard work, right? For them, growing up, they watched their parents work day and night, right? Especially their their fathers, the male figures in the home. They watched them work night and day, come home, have dinner, maybe with the kids, maybe not, go right into TV time, radio time, if you will, and then they go right to bed. And so for what they experienced, hard work was being present wherever you are, right? Wherever you're to be. And a lot of, of workers at that time, and I use that term, you know, with air quotes, um, were industrial workers. They were factory workers. It required them to be on site. Right. So this is what they saw. This was the learned behavior that they experienced as children, baby boomers. So as they evolve and grow up and enter the workforce, hard work to them means presence. It means visibility. It means being on site for them hard work means being there. For us, hard work means delivering value. And so for a millennial or Gen Z member, we feel like as long as the job gets done, why do I need to be present, right? Why do I need to be there? But a baby boomer says, if you're not there, you're not working. So the way that they interpret and understand what hard work is, it impacts the way we show up in the workforce and how we're perceived because it's, it's just a simple disconnect. It's a simple misunderstanding, right? And so studies have actually shown that millennials, we go through this thing called millennial burnout, right? Not because we're lazy, but because we're doing too much oftentimes, right? And we don't get the credit for that. There was a study done, which I was alluding to earlier. There's a study done that showed millennials actually forfeited more vacation time than any other generation in the workforce. And I believe this study, it's a little dated. I believe it was around 2013, 2015-ish. But nonetheless, what that says is, A, you think we're not working, but we are. And we're so sold out to what we want to achieve and accomplish that we're willing to forfeit our vacation time to do so. Baby boomers are probably doing the same thing. Gen Xers are probably doing the same thing. But as it relates to, you know, how much time, millennials won that battle, if you will, quote unquote. And so I say that to say for a baby boomer, hard work means something different than it does for a millennial. I think millennials want to be judged on output. That's a great distinction. And thank you for breaking it down that way, because I've even had that same debate. I think most people have, even with when you think of your actual parents, right, of, okay, if I do this, why do you have to watch me clean my room? Why can't I clean it this time, right? And so all of those things, and I think that is so meaningful for as you're looking for a work environment too, right? Or if you're going into entrepreneurship, understanding that, that 
it's going to be perceived differently. And many times you may be having arguments where you actually agree on the same thing. It's just the way you want to go about it is differently. And part of the reason why millennials have that drive towards just executing output, creating something is because of their value of achievement, right? Of there's no point in just doing this over and over if there's no results. And I think that can lead to a lot of the need for promotion or recognition is because I want to prove that what I'm doing is doing something. It's meaning something. I'm accomplishing something, which is yeah. very different than the narrative of they're lazy. They just want a handout. It's not that at all. Can you talk about what is that millennial need for achievement and that value really look like? So for a millennial, we grew up in a time where, you know, the educational system was more competitive and more stringent than ever, right? I remember going to school and a lot of my peers, even in elementary, were in AG. And I remember being in a couple of AG classes myself and then going to high school and there's AB and there's, I, no, there's IB, excuse me, there's all these acronyms, there's IB, there's AP, there's, a, yeah, there's all of these different things, right, that kind of segment us as people and they're all based on achievement right and so what we're taught is when it comes to our ability to achieve that's what separates good from bad right that's what separates good from better that's what separates those who get a 5.0 gpa from those who get a you know 2.8 right um so just by virtue of being in a different class your, which is an achievement in and of itself, then you actually score an A, right? You get a higher GPA. You can now enter into a 6.0 GPA, I think is the highest that you can get, I think. I don't know anymore. Um, uh, or, you know, when, when you're not in those type of classes, the highest you can get is a 4.0. So not to get all convoluted in how, you know, educational systems are, are either working or not working, but the point of it is that what we're taught to believe is that achievement is the way to success. So the higher and the more that I achieve, the more successful I am. And so when we think about a promotion being the equivalent of me getting from a regular class to an IB class, I want that promotion, right? And if I'm able to show you that I deserve that promotion, then surely I, I could get it. What a baby boomer sees, right? And even a Gen Xer sees is you haven't put the time in for that promotion. So you don't qualify. So again, it's that, that difference between um, capability and being able and being capable and the, the, the kind of view of being uh, deserving and being worthy and having earned the reward, right? So I say that to say that we as millennials were tied to achievement because of that, because of how we grew up, because of how we were raised. And oftentimes when we come into the workforce, promotion equals achievement for us. And so when we come in and we say, hey, we deserve to be promoted because we've done X, Y, and Z, that may be true, um, but we have to see it in the context of other generations and also the culture of the organization. Most organizations have standard or minimum time that you have to have been in a role before you can be considered for promotion. For the organization I was with, it was around a year and a half, I think. So if you haven't hit that 18-month mark, it doesn't matter how capable you are. It doesn't matter how tied to achievement you are. Um, it doesn't matter how much you've achieved. If you haven't hit that mark, we're not going to consider moving you forward. And so um, I think, again, it's just a misunderstanding of 
of the intent behind what people are looking for. And I think, you know, you mentioned a little bit the trophies, right? The participation trophies we allegedly received as uh, I do recall getting one actually <laughs> as millennials, <laughs> a lot of us probably have, but, you know, getting those participation trophies for us, <clears throat> again, was a reward as a result of something that we did. Right, whether we won or not, we received an award. If we look at um, the gaming systems that we work with or you know that we play these days, right? We grew up in a time where gaming systems were really becoming a thing, right? I remember Nintendo, I remember Sega Genesis, I remember Game Boys, all that type of stuff. And so um, with those, there's, there's a sense of immediate gratification. There's a sense of, okay, as soon as I win, I get a reward. As soon as I lose, I have to start over. So there's an immediate you know, reaction or a result. So I say all that to say that was a lot of information, but at the end of the day, this kind of gives hopefully some perspective on why millennials look for achievement and what we call achievement in the workplace, although that may seem offensive and entitled, to others, this is kind of the underlying reason why we, we kind of see it that way. All right. Thank you for breaking that down. And I love the example of a game system, right? Of something that as soon as you finish the task, there's either reward or consequence. That I know one of the things that you notice also was that millennials like a lot of personal attention, right? We're used to saying, hey, I did this work. Did I do good or bad? And that's one thing that I've noticed myself as I'm going through this transition from academia into the workforce is that there's no feedback at all for a lot of things. And that's very shocking, I think, more than most people realize, because you're going from a system where here's the syllabus that tells you exactly what to do. Here's we're going to quiz you at week two. Then we're going to test you. Then we're going to final exam you. If you get it wrong, you can we can tell you exactly what you did wrong, exactly the place to find the answer to now. I send in my resume and then I get nothing and then you're denied or I do this task and then great. And then, okay, am, am I doing great? It's the first 90 days. You said yeah. there'd be meetings, but we only meet, you know, once a quarter. What, yeah. What's happening? And so I think that is so interesting. And that's something that a lot of people are facing and they feel like something's wrong with them, right? They feel like I'm not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it absolutely refers back to how we were raised Um, how we grew up and and the environment in which we grew up. And so for an example, you mentioned, um, you know, those meetings you're supposed to have and you're looking around like, okay, when is the meeting happening? I was anticipating this because you need that personal attention, A, but you also need that feedback um, because of how you've experienced learning and progression up until this point, right? And so that boss who potentially is, let's say an a Gen Xer or a baby boomer, they see it as a gift of me not having that meeting, right? So they're like, I'm giving you time back. I'm not micromanaging you. I'm giving you freedom. I'm giving you autonomy. You should be happy that I'm not calling this meeting. But then you as the millennial or the Gen Zer who needs that attention, you need that affirmation, you need that feedback. You're like, you're abandoning me. You told me we were going to meet. Why are we meeting? I don't know how I'm doing. So you see how it's kind of like a marriage, right? You could make the decision that I'm frustrated. I'm not getting the support I need. I'm going to find somewhere else to go, uh, which is, again, another kind of bad rap millennials get is that we don't stick around companies. But nonetheless, those types of, you know, disconnects create, you know, situations for turnover and attrition for that reason. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. 
I think one of the most profound statements in your book, Leading My Parents, is the idea that we should work to create partners, not followers. And I want to read a section from it because it just illustrates it so beautifully. And also I'm an English nerd, so I love well-written text. And you said here that I personally believe true leaders create partners, not followers. The best leaders set the vision, lead the team toward the vision, and the team being so compelled by the leader and his or her vision, join the leader in pursuit of it. Now, that is something that I don't think I've ever heard articulated quite as beautifully. And in a day and age where the number of people that you lead can seem like an accomplishment or the number of people that look to you via on social media or in the workplace is yeah. an accomplishment in and of itself, why does creating partners lead to more fulfilling leadership? Yeah. To me, I think, you know, the best of leaders are those who are joined and, and not followed. So we think that a good leader is a person who gives orders well, who sends people off into, you know, their respective fields to execute well, and they come back with a win. We think that that equals good leadership. But to me, I think it's important that a leader really kind of sets a vision, defines what success is with the team, and then walks with that team to that destination that they're supposed to be going to, right? And helps them win. And I think what you do when you do that is you actually create future leaders. You create a world in which we have what, what I love to call servant leaders, right? And so that is the premise of my leadership foundation, um, my leadership philosophy. I talk about leadership philosophies in the book and how to really think about what yours is and how to communicate your leadership style and all of that jazz. Um, but this has become what you just read has become my leadership philosophy for that very reason is that I'm in the business of creating more leaders um, and better leaders. And so to me, creating what I call joiners or partners um, is really how you not only get the, the job done best, but also how you create a legacy of, of achievement, accomplishment and execution, et cetera. So it's kind of like, you know, teach a man to fish, right? Um, rather than give him fish. Um, the other thing I would say about, you know, creating a, a, I would say a culture of partnership versus followership is it's all really, it's really about inclusivity, right? And so how do you as a professional, as a leader, create a culture where people feel included, right? It's not about you sending them off to do something. It's about you. It's about you inviting them in. Um, so you've got to give people um, the opportunity to buy in and, to actually feel like they're part of the accomplishment themselves. And to me, that just is not only creating better execution, but it's also creating, it's not only creating better execution and better leaders, but it's also creating even better performance from a long-term perspective because you are, um, you're, you're inviting people into the process and people who are bought into the process are sold out, right? Um, they are committed 
they are passionate and those are the people that companies retain uh, for years and years to come people who feel like they have the permission to contribute in deep ways and so to me that's how you build a positive company culture is by creating teams of partners who have bought into your vision and your execution strategy, et cetera, rather than people who are just following orders, right? Uh, so to me, that's how you, you, you could win that way, but you're not really building culture that's sustainable. Hmm. Raven, before I ask my final question to you, where can we go to find out more about you and all of the great work you're doing with your keynotes, your workshops, and your new program that you started for interns in the Charlotte area? Yeah, so you can go to ravensolomon.com. That's R-A-V-E-N-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. There you can find all the information about my upcoming events, all of the keynotes and workshops that I deliver. And I'm also on all social media, really. Um, Raven underscore solo on Instagram and Twitter, and then my name on LinkedIn. So I absolutely love to connect with people on social. So please do reach out. And I look forward to just, you know, staying in touch. And, and there you can find all the information about my company, my intern programs, etc. Oh, and then the last thing I'll mention is I'm in the process of building out a mastermind group for young professionals around this topic of multi-generational leadership and being um, successful, promotable leaders in organizations. So more to come on that on my website. That sounds incredible. Masterminds are gems. I know it's going to be phenomenal because you have a great personality outside of your amazing leadership and insights. So that's definitely something anyone who is interested should jump on immediately. Um, Raven, final question for you. If you could take everything that you stand for and everything that you personally believe in and boil it down to one word or one phrase, what would that be for you? Hmm. I would say it would be what I call the definition of integrity, which is doing what you say you're going to do and being who you say you are. Beautiful. As always, the Raven Solomon here today, dropping gems about millennials and all generations, really. And this can apply in the workforce, in the home, in pretty much any context where there are people of different generations who have to do human things and interact with each other. And so definitely pick up a copy of her book, Leading Your Parents, 25 Rules to Effective Multi-Generational Leadership for Millennials and Gen Zs. This is a good read. Even if you're not a quote unquote book person, it's something that really has something for everyone. Raven, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing Raven Solomon talk about what her values are as different generations. And one thing I think is so important to understand is that there is no one size fits all. There's no one millennial, no one baby boomer. We're all different people. And so if this is something that's new to you, check out the book. And if this is something where you feel like, I don't know where I really fit, that's perfect because we're all individuals. And so the best advice I can give in the workforce or in life is to really try your best to get to know the person that you're dealing with 
personally, right? Use this as a framework, but really invest the time in understanding who that human is and what's important to them. And that'll help you communicate better and more importantly, have less friction in your work relationship. I'm Candace Kelly, and as always, I love to end my show with a little challenge for you, something that you can do throughout your week that helps you keep building your mental cement top of mind, and more importantly, help you master that mindset. So this week, your challenge is simple. I want you to invite someone of a different generation to lunch with you. Lunch or coffee, if you're a Starbucks nut, I don't like coffee, so I prefer real solid food, but it's up to you. Invite them out 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and really understand, ask them those questions. Hey, what's important to you? What do you think would make a great person at this organization? It can be at work or someone that you know personally, and really put those values to the test. See how they hold up. And as always, keep building that mental cement.